Welcome back to the podcast, Ramiumptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I'm the host. Today's episode is called, Is God Worthy of My Worship? Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been discussing the problem of evil. And today I'm going to do my best to wrap up some of my thoughts on this subject as it pertains to the LDS faith. I'll also be reading a couple of comments from the listeners that I've gotten over the last couple of weeks that I feel like enhance this discussion and add some really interesting insight to the subject. If you haven't been following the last three episodes, 81 to 83, I've discussed the problem of evil, and so I'll I'll briefly summarize it again, (laughs) just in case there's a new listener hopping in here for the first time. The logical problem of evil that we've been discussing is based on a couple of premises, that God exists, and he, she, or they are all loving, all powerful, and all knowing. And then the premise too is that there is observable evil in this world that we live in. Then the conclusion from those premises is that for the logical problem of evil, that therefore, since those two ideas are incompatible, an omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and omniscient God cannot exist. Over the last couple of weeks, we also discussed the subject of theodicies, and those are logical arguments grappling with this concept to try and explain how both of these two premises can coexist. We talked about some theodicies from the Book of Mormon, some theodicies from the that come from Joseph Smith's teachings. And then we ended last week with the idea that this premise, broadly for for all Christianity, and more specifically within the LDS faith, does have some reasonable explanations or some rationalizations to explain why an all-loving, all-powerful, all-good God can exist at the same time as the evils that we do observe. If the problem of evil, of evil can't be used to disprove the existence of God, why spend so much time talking about it? To make this segue, I want to read a comment from a listener. From their prior reading, they knew exactly where I was headed with this subject. We'll read it here. This listener, Christina, said, I was a Christian for a few months after leaving Mormonism. That changed when I read The Brothers Karamazov, in which the problem of evil is laid out incredibly clearly. It made me realize that having free will, if it does exist, does not justify all the pain and suffering in the world. And when I became a vegetarian and then a vegan, I also realized that the way nature works, predatory and prey, is actually extremely sadistic if God designed it that way. Why would God create animals with the capacity to suffer when he also designed them to be killed and eaten? It made no sense to me. This listener, Christina, brings up such a fascinating contradiction in the way that our world is set up. If everything is done by design, then the animals that we consume in order to sustain life, the animals that we, that we eat, they have to suffer in order for us to survive. 
the way the system is set up, if God is real, if everything, you know, everything that the church teaches is real, God created a system where suffering happens to these animals. Scientists have done tests on this and they can measure that these animals do experience suffering. Our entire species, outside of harming each other, we cause so much harm to other animals on the planet in order to sustain ourselves. And it's this, this sadistic design that just feels wrong when you try and reconcile it with an all-good God. I'm not trying to tell everyone out there that they have to become vegetarian or vegan, but I feel like everyone should be aware of the suffering that even having a nice fancy dinner out causes onto animals on our planet. I love this comment. Thank you for saying that, Christina. This points directly to where I want to go with this discussion. For the sake of how I want to frame this, we'll just say that yes, the, the logical problem of evil does not disprove God. And in fact, God does exist. And this is exactly the world that he wanted us to live in. He designed it this way and everything is working as intended. Is a God that would create the world as we experience it worthy of my and your worship? The Brothers Karamazov is, a, is the last novel by Fyodor Dostoevsky. It was published in serialized format, which was kind of the style of the late 19th century. So the publication date ranges from early 1879 to late 1880. Uh, in that time period, a lot of the books that we read as a full novel uh, came out in chapters on a monthly basis. And so that was, that was what happened with this one. It was published originally in The Russian Messenger. Anyway, sorry, getting sidetracked. So for a brief summary, and I'm not going to go through the full story of the brothers Karamazov, here's kind of the, the, the premise. Fyodor is, is the father of three sons from two different women. He isn't presented as like a great human being, and he has zero commitment to these sons. Each time he has a child, he sends them off to relatives or friends to be raised by other people. He has zero part in their lives. The three sons of Fyodor are Dmitri from the first wife, and then Ivan and Alyosha from the second wife. The eldest son, Dmitri, comes back to Fyodor seeking the inheritance from his mother who, has, who passed away. It's a really fascinating story. In ex-Mormon or even atheist circles, the Brothers Karamazov is almost always brought up solely as a way to say, look, this is the problem of evil, and this is why God can't exist, or this is why God is not worthy of our worship. And I'll get there because there's some really famous lines from Ivan about that. The second son, Ivan, is the atheist that comes into town to try and settle the dispute between his brother and his father. Interestingly, since this book was published in serialized format, much like some TV shows come out today, where right now I'm watching The Last of Us with my wife. Great video game, one of my favorites of all time, and the adaptation, at least this far, has been fantastic. You experience it over a long period of time, you can't binge it. At least that was the way that these books were published in the late 19th century. There's some correspondence, there's some letters from Fyodor Dostoevsky talking about the brothers Karamazov, and he, in these letters, he talks about the fact that he might have set up the problem of evil so well that the, the readers miss the fact that he tried to present a solution to it as well. 
So I want to talk about how he set this up, and he set up the problem of evil with Ivan, the second son. So this excerpt here is from chapter 4 and page 307 of the copy that I've got here. And I'm, I'm going to read kind of a long thing. So uh, leading up to this point, Ivan has set up the problem of evil by discussing some of the horrible things that he's witnessed, uh, specifically to children in his life. And he's, he says this, he says, it's not worth the tears of that one tortured child who beat itself on the breast with its little fist and prayed in its stinking outhouse with its unexpiated tears to dear kind God. It's not worth it because those tears are unatoned for. They must be atoned for or there can be no harmony. But how? How are you going to atone for them? Is it possible? By their being avenged. But what do I care for avenging them? What do I care for a hell for oppressors? What good can hell do, since those children have already been tortured? And what becomes of harmony if there is hell? I want to forgive. I want to embrace. I don't want more suffering. And if the suffering of children go to swell the sum of sufferings which was necessary to pay for truth, then I protest that the truth is not worth such a price. I do not want the mother to embrace the oppressor who threw her son to the dogs. She dare not forgive him. Let her forgive him for her, herself, if she will. Let her forgive the torturer for the immeasurable suffering of her mother's heart. But the suffering of her tortured child, she has no right to forgive. She dare not forgive the torturer, even if the child were to forgive him. And if that is so, if they dare not forgive, what becomes of harmony? Is there in the whole world a being who would have the right to forgive and could forgive? I don't want harmony. From love for humanity, I don't want it. I would rather be left with the unavenged suffering. I would rather remain with my unavenged suffering and unsatisfied indignation, even if I were wrong. Besides, too high a price is asked for harmony. It's beyond our means to pay so much to enter on it. And so I hasten to give back my entrance ticket. And if I am an honest man, I am bound to give it back as soon as possible. And that I am doing. It's not God that I don't accept Alyosha. Only I must respectfully return him the ticket. And the Alyosha that he's talking here presents an, a very fascinating foil. And I'll get there in just a sec. Even if you can somehow reconcile this problem of evil with God, it's not a system that I agree with. When he's saying he wants to give back his entrance ticket and, and respect, respectfully return God this ticket, he's saying that he rejects the plan of salvation, to use LDS terminology. This system is inherently wrong, and I want no part of it. If God were real, if this is how it's set up, I want no part of this. The third child, Alyosha, is kind of a foil to Dimitri. And he's, he's presented almost as another way to look at the suffering in the world. <laughs> I just realized that I've been saying Dimitri for a minute, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I mixed it up. <laughs> I said it right at the beginning, at the outset, when I was talking about the three characters, but I mixed up their names, I think. So to clear the air... 
Dimitri is the first child that comes back looking for his inheritance and falls in love with the same woman as his father, Fyodor. Ivan is the second son, presented as a a really brilliant guy, um, and he's the atheist that comes in and is having this conversation with Alyosha. And I apologize to the listeners, I totally mixed, mixed up the names Dimitri and Ivan as I was talking just a minute ago. This premise of the problem of evil is presented pretty early on in the book. It's a long book. Through everything that happens in the book, Alyosha is presented as a foil to his brothers and his father. He's childlike and naive, but full of a capacity to love that his other brothers don't have. At the beginning of the story, Alyosha uh, is at the local monastery, but he hasn't taken vows yet, so he's just kind of starting out on his path into the the priesthood at the the church. So I'm going to directly um, contrast the previous um, dialogue from Dimitri. I did it again (laughs) with uh, the previous dialogue between Ivan and Alyosha. And this is Alyosha as he's, um, for a reader that might want to go and read it, something is happening with Alyosha's character and he's he's making a decision to to do something different with his life. And here's, here's what it says. He has fallen on the ground, he's crying, and these are the thoughts that are going through his head in the narrative. It says, There seem to be threads from all those innumerable worlds of God linking his soul to them, and it was trembling all over in contact with other worlds. He longed to forgive everyone and for everything and to beg forgiveness. Oh, not for himself, but for all men, for all and for everything. And others are praying for me too, echoed again in his soul. But with every instant he felt clearly, and as it were tangibly, that something firm and unshakable as that vault of heaven had entered into his soul. It was as though some idea had seized the sovereign of his mind, and it was for all his life and forever and ever. And he had fallen on the earth a weak boy, but he rose up a resolute champion, and he knew and felt and felt it suddenly at the very moment of his ecstasy, and never, never, all his life long, could Alyosha forget that minute. So, while on on one hand, the Brothers Karamazov presents such a compelling explanation of the problem of evil, and how an atheist or a non-believer could come to this problem and say, look, I reject the entire system. The way it's set up is flawed, and it's wrong, and I don't want any part of it. But that doesn't have to be the response. But a believer could come to the table, could examine the exact same issues and say, just as Alyosha did, and feel connected with the suffering and pain of everyone in the world and come to a conclusion like Alyosha and say, this is why we need a compassionate God, because, it's, because there is so much hurt and pain in the world. So (laughs) if a listener wanted me to give you a a concrete yes or no, this is how you should think. I'm sorry. That's just not what I'm going to do. While I find myself more in line with Ivan's thoughts, I think there is beauty in a character like Alyosha who feels that deep connection to other human beings. It's an empathy and a recognition of the suffering that all humans experience. He uses the term... Dostoevsky, in both Ivan's explanation of the problem of evil and Alyosha's moment of 
epiphany or spiritual awakening, they both talk about forgiveness, where Ivan says, there's so much suffering that you cannot forgive other people. The mother must not or doesn't have the right to forgive the person who hurt their child. And Alyosha, he feels this interconnectedness of all mankind and seems to become hyper aware of the suffering of the world and the need for forgiveness in order to heal. And I think it's a really fascinating contrast between the two characters, how they can look at the exact same thing and come to dramatically different conclusions where one does not believe in God or rejects God and the other accepts God and how they're looking at the problem of evil through their own lenses gives them a dramatically different interpretation of forgiveness. I'm not here to say one is right and the other is wrong. The way that Dostoevsky presents these characters is to contrast each other. So after a couple of weeks of discussing the problem of evil and looking at it from a couple of different lenses and trying to understand some theodicies from the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith, we come to an impasse. This is simply a subject that a believer is going to look at it with a much different lens than someone who is not a believer. And perhaps any sort of logical justification, any theodicy, is unnecessary for a believer. The way Dostoevsky presents this, the, the problem of evil was clearly explained to Alyosha before this moment. And when he had this, this spiritual awakening, as it's described on, I don't think I said page, but it's like 463, there was no logical explanation given for why he should feel that love and feel connected to the world and to sojourn in the world and, and kind of be a witness for God's love. In that moment, he was never given an explanation. He just felt the need to beg for forgiveness and to forgive everyone. I like the way Dostoevsky presents these disparate people. You have Ivan, the atheist, debating his ideas about the world with Alyosha. But the two characters, they love each other and they're kind and close to each other throughout the story. Yeah, there's things that happen, but they do care about each other and they do have a friendship. I love that these characters can coexist in this story and be a foil for each other where neither one is presented as, as wholly right or wholly wrong. When an atheist uses the Brothers Karamazov as a way to say, hey, look, this is what you know a famous work of literature has to say about the problem of evil and why God isn't real or isn't worth worship. Dostoevsky put the response to the problem of evil in Alyosha. Alyosha's character and his, his compassion for others, his belief in God, even though there is suffering, is the response that he put in place for the problem of evil. I do want to read a couple more comments from some of the previous episodes. This is to kind of wrap up, to wrap up uh, the discussion of the problem of evil. Uh, a listener named Lynn said, uh, suggested reading a book called Eternal Man by Truman Madsen. Uh, apparently within this speech given at BYU in the 50s, the problem of evil and Joseph Smith's approach to it is discussed. I haven't read it myself, but it does sound like a fascinating discourse to read. I had a bunch of commenters and it's it's almost <laughs> it was quite a few of them, but they um their approach to 
some of the things that I talked about with the Book of Mormon theodicies and the Joseph Smith theodicies was basically a rejection of LDS belief. But then they, most of these commenters talks have talked about subjects that I've already discussed on the podcast, such as Satan and his role in the problem of evil. And a number of those comments, I didn't, I didn't address them on the page because I feel like I've already talked about those subjects at length at, at different times. So if those listeners would like to learn more, go back, look through the catalog. There's going to be episodes on free will. There's going to be episodes on Satan and all of these subjects where I dig a little bit deeper. And so the, the arguments that some of these listeners used to present the Odysseys don't hold up as well as they think because the subjects, free will, uh, plan of salvation, Satan and his role and all of it, they're a lot more complex when you look at the shifts in theology over time. There's one more comment I wanted to talk about. It says, and this is from Perry, and they said, I do enjoy the fact that in creating a, fa- a rather fascinating theodicy, Joseph Smith ends up running headfirst into the problem with divine command theory, solving one problem just to create another. If that doesn't describe Joseph's entire life, I don't know what does. And I, I love this comment. This, this is exactly <laughs> the way I read Joseph Smith's uh, theodicy as well. In order to explain away one problem, he is presenting God as not the author and creator of the laws. He presents God as having, as existing within a set boundary that he cannot change. If the listeners remember from a couple months back, we discussed the divine command theory. The LDS doctrine sometimes falls on one end of the divine command theory and sometimes falls on the other. There's not a real good consistency for that. So a listener or or anyone could go and read a number of passages and come to one conclusion on what the church believes on divine command theory. Other passages, such as what we were discussing last week with Joseph Smith's theodicy, and come to a completely different conclusion on what Joseph Smith thought about divine command theory. Thanks for the comment. The last couple of weeks, I have really enjoyed discussing the problem of evil, and I I know there's a lot more that we could have said. There's other books that I actually did have another book that I was thinking about talking about, but I might just I might save that and do that down the road at some point. This is such a complex issue that doesn't really have a good answer. It's a problem that a non-believer or an atheist or agnostic person presents to say, "Look, this doesn't sit right with me. Something about this is wrong." And then a believer trying to address this comes up with their theodicy to rationalize it or explain it. One of my favorite aspects about the brothers Karamazov is the the response to this problem of evil presented wasn't a logical, well-thought-out retort to what Ivan had to say. It was, look at Alyosha, look at how good of a person he is. Perhaps the answer is living a good life instead of having a perfect knowledge of why there is suffering. And I don't know I know that's not going to be a compelling response for a lot of listeners, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be. This is a problem that Dostoevsky was clearly grappling with. He was thinking about this problem of evil and trying to to reconcile it while writing this story and I think he did it in a beautiful way, regardless of how someone wants to interpret whether his response was good or bad. I've got a couple of interviews lined up that I'm excited to share with you guys. I, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but in February, I've got, a, I've got a great lineup coming up for you. I spoke with a gal that used to work at the MTC. 
And I also spoke with a, a, a woman that, that worked at BYU-Idaho in the counseling department. And both of those conversations were fascinating. I'm working on editing them and I will release those as soon as I can. So wherever you find yourself out there, just putting those earbuds in so you can listen to a podcast while working on the dishes. I hope that you have an excellent day.